for instance, the passage of Scripture is a narrative. It's a story about the anointing of King David, and it's a little longer than some passages I preach on. I thought it would be uh, a better approach if we go verse by verse. So I hope you've got your Bible handy. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. Uh, this is what used to be called expository preaching. It's sort of a verse-by-verse treatment. It's If you've been in Bible study with me before, this is sort of how I teach and how we move through things. So I hope it uh, is helpful to you today, given the length of the passage. We're not going to read it all through. We're going to take it verse by verse. So uh, are you ready? I'm hearing you ready. Well, before we read the first verse, 1 Samuel 16, uh, verses 1 to 13, keep in mind it's king making time in Israel. And Samuel is the prophet of God. He's been appointed by God to be the kingmaker on behalf of God. He was the one who anointed the first king of Israel, who was Saul. An anointing of a king was a way that it highlighted the covenant between God, the blessing of God, how this person was God's representative now. And so that was the role of Samuel. Now Samuel had anointed King Saul And Samuel, therefore, was very committed to Saul. He loved Saul. But Saul had been disobedient to God. And God, the Lord, Yahweh, in Hebrew, uh, he is choosing. As painful as that is, he has decided to choose a new king. And this is our text this morning. So here we go. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. The Lord has rejected here Saul as king because of his disobedience, and Samuel is struggling with it because to anoint a new king uh, is a very dangerous proposition. And he's having to anoint a new king, and the Lord has chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the new king. What we need to keep in mind is that this king-making involved no primary. There was no general election. There was no electoral college. There is one and only one vote that matters. And the one vote that decides who is king, the exit poll that is tracked one demographic, and that one demographic is the Lord. God has chosen a new king, and Samuel is to find this new king. Verse 2, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Well, of course, Samuel is frightened. He's scared that Saul might kill him. Because keep in mind, when you're looking to anoint a new king, when there's not a vacancy for a king, you are putting your life in danger. It's treason. And Samuel knows he is committing treason in the eyes of Saul. And if Saul finds out, he could have him killed. And so he's frightened. He's terrified. 
So God tells Samuel, interesting enough, God, I don't know if this is the only time God lies in the Bible, but God lies to, he gives, he gives Samuel a lie. And I don't know if when God tells a lie, that's a little white lie, or if it's a big white lie. I'm not sure what to categorize it, but God says, look, you take a heifer, and you tell them you're there to sacrifice to the Lord. You're there to worship God, and you want to consecrate them, and you want them to join in. It's not true, but that's what Samuel is told to do. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? You see, the elders of Bethlehem understand that Saul is king, and they know who Samuel is. They know the prophet of God, and they know he anointed Saul king, and they're not sure. He is, he is King Saul's emissary. He's his representative, and they're not sure. Are they in trouble? Why is Samuel coming to them? Have they done something wrong? Why is he there? And so they ask very naturally, do, do you come in peace? Verse 5, Samuel replies, yes, in peace. And then he lies. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Samuel's all in here on the lie that God gave him to do. I've come to sacrifice. That's why I'm here. I've got to see the heifer. I've got a cow. We're going to sacrifice the animal. We're going to consecrate ourselves to the worship of God. And he proceeds. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, this is the oldest son of Jesse, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel, he sees Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And Eliab is however you want to put it, tall, dark, and handsome. He has to be the one that God would make king. He's, uh, you might think of it this way, he's George Clooney or Brad Pitt or Bradley Cooper or Tom Brady. Or you might think of Cary, Cary Grant. Who? Will Smith. Sean Connery. Cary Grant. Was the, the guy that played Rhett Butler? Uh, that's a little too hard. Clark Gable. What this guy has those chiseled good looks. He's muscular. He's suntanned. This has to be the one. He's got king material written all over him. Samuel is certain this is the king, the new king. But verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, listen to this, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How, how countercultural is that verse of Scripture? How much do we put stake in the outer appearance in our world? 
I mean, you can't judge a book by what? You can't judge a book by its cover, but we do it all the time. Just in the first glance, we make a judgment. Oh, that's this kind of person. That's this kind of person. Some of us were taught you only get one chance to do what? You only get one chance to make a good first impression. We're so consumed with the outer appearance. Image. In our world, image is everything. Think about how much we spend on outer appearance. Hair colors and creams and lotions and potions, anti-aging products, plastic surgery, gym memberships. Why? Because in our world, what's on the outside in many places is all that seems to matter. Some of you are experiencing uh, this week one of the crises for you or me is the restriction the coronavirus. We, we can't go to the beauty salon. We can't go to our barber. My wife said, Marion's going to cut my hair. You'll know when that's happened. I'll be wearing a hat leading worship, and that'll be when I finally got a haircut. I was coming out of Sam's on Wednesday, finally got out. I was keeping proper social distancing. I wiped off the cart. We had to pick up some things. And I was coming out of Sam's, and the gentleman there was going to check my ticket and did check the ticket, and I handed it to him. And, and he said to me something that I rarely hear anymore. He said, hey there, young man. And I said, God bless you. I don't get young man very often anymore. It's very rare, and we joked, and we said, you know what? It's just a number, isn't it? I said, yeah, it's just a number. You have a good day. You have a good day. And I want you to know, when he said, hey there, young man, I'll admit it, that felt kind of good again to be referred to as a young man. Think about it in our political world. Right now we have three old white dudes that are going to be running for president. I mean, I can say that. I'm, a, I'm an aging white dude myself. But you watch. Whenever we get to the point where campaigning is appropriate again. You just watch. They'll be doing push-ups. They'll be riding horses. They'll be roping calves. The debates, there won't be real debates. There'll be a series of, of Trump arm wrestling or leg wrestling or thumb wrestling just to show that I'm the most, I'm the strongest. Don't let my age fool you. I'm the one who can do this. You just watch. And on both sides, we'll say, where's the medical report? I need to see the medical report. I don't know if this person is fit to be president. we got to see the report. The outer appearance in our world sometimes is all that matters. How much stock do you put in the outside? Some of you, some of you are loving this online worship. Some of you are in your pajamas right now. Some of you haven't shaved. You haven't taken a bath. Yes, I'm looking at you, Jim Clark. You, you can just be yourself. You don't know that I don't have my pajamas on under this robe. Well, I don't today, but I might. I might. I might. I don't know. No, I won't. But the point is, uh, how much value do we put on the outer appearance. And so, verse 8, we see here the king, the king of Israel beauty pageant. 
continues. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab, he's the second son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then sends Shammah. He passes by the third son. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Surely to goodness, right? Seven sons. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So Samuel asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? I mean, seven sons paraded before Samuel, and the Lord has not chosen any of them. Are these all the sons you have? The suspense is building. There there is still the youngest, Jesse says. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Folks, that might not mean a lot to us, but the youngest, the runt of the litter, the baby, it never even occurred to Jesse that this could be the one who would be king. Why? Because in that culture, as you may know, it was patriarchal. It was hierarchical. And the youngest son was the lowest, the lowest one on the totem pole. The youngest son is the one, if you notice, he's out in the fields. What is he doing? He's doing the menial labor. He's tending the sheep. It's the dirty work. It's the nasty, smelly, stinking job. And when he comes in for meals, his brothers always rib him. What's that smell? What's that smell, Abinadab? I don't, well, it's that, it's sheep boy over there. I mean, they just give it to him every time he joins the family. And Jesse, you know, Jesse sends. He sends for the youngest son out tending the sheep. But no doubt, no doubt he is saying to himself, what a royal waste of time. There is no way this runt of a kid, this eighth son, could be king. It makes no sense, but he sends for the eighth son. Verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Isn't isn't that funny? I mean, we just heard in verse 7, God doesn't see the outer part, but the storyteller, he can't can't refuse. I mean, it's David. So he has to comment on his looks, his outer appearance, but... David, we already realize, David must not just have the outer appearance that is pleasing to the eye. David has what it takes on the inside. And what happens next is a celebration for any of us, any of us who have ever felt less than or put down or not good enough, any of us who were the last one picked when the team captain selected for the athletic competition, for any of us who have ever been forgotten or overlooked or not even considered, what happens next is for 
every Cinderella and every underdog who has ever lived. Some of you know me well. You know I'm very competitive. Why am I so competitive? Growing up, I was, I know you can't tell now, but growing up, I was so skinny. I was the skinniest, scrawniest kid. And I'll tell you how, how scrawny I was. I was going to play freshman football if I could get my weight up to 100 pounds. I could not get my weight to 100 pounds. I loved to play football, but I knew these guys would not take mercy on me. They would crush me. And I couldn't get my weight as a freshman in high school. I was five foot two. I'm 6'2 now. I was a five foot two scrawny kid until I was a junior in high school. I grew a foot. I was skinny as a whale. I got every name, string bean. I had cotton white hair back then. Q-tip. I looked like a Q-tip with glasses on. That's what I was as a, as a child. What happens next is for any of us, any of us who have ever felt insecure or less than, Listen to what happens next. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Isn't that beautiful? So Samuel, Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel then went to Ramah. Friends, the story is told, but we do not miss the point. David, the youngest, the scrawniest, the least, the last, the overlooked one, the forgotten brother out in the field doing the dirty work, that is the one. That's the one that God chooses. And this whole story is told so we might pay attention to how God chooses and what God chooses and who God chooses. Who and what God blesses and who and what God anoints and lifts up. And the Apostle Paul, the Scripture Lee read first, Paul picks up on this. He knew who David was. He knew the story of David. It's why Paul says in that passage, 1 Corinthians, but God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that, why? Why did God do this? Why did God flip the script on how we choose in the world? God did it because no one, no one that no one may boast before God. You get the message? God's standards are not our standards. God sees and God chooses by different standards. We're told God sees not the outer appearance, but God sees the heart. What's on the inside? Friends, don't be mistaken. In God's eyes, character matters. In God's eyes, integrity matters. David, 
David, the only other thing we're told about him outside of his appearance here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the only other thing that's said about David is that he was a man. He was a man after what? He was a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a man or woman after the heart of God? Well, as Christians, we shouldn't puzzle about that. As Christians, we know what the heart of God is like. We know what the heart of God looks like. The heart of God came in flesh as Jesus Christ. And what was Jesus called? What was he referred to? Bartimaeus in Jericho, when he saw Jesus coming, what did he cry out? He said, Jesus, son of what? Son of David, have mercy on me. He knew that this man had David's heart because David would surely have helped him. David had a heart after God's heart. And where was Jesus born? He was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. Now it's sad. It is sad that David, who started out as a man after God's home, if you know anything about his life, it took a lot of twists and turns. It was a soap opera. It was a made-for-TV movie. And David fell from the grace of God. And really the only reason he ever fell was because King David started believing. He started believing he was king. And that's when it all started spiraling. He was king. But he was king because God made him king. And God was the king of Israel. And when David started thinking that he was the king and not God, it all starts to unravel. The boy David started out with a heart after God's own heart, a heart that has room for God, a heart that's not proud or arrogant. It's a heart that's humble, full of empathy, full of compassion. It's a heart of love. It's a heart that has eyes to see who are those that God would lift up and bless and anoint. Friends, this coronavirus crisis, I believe what I heard this week, that this suffering that is taking place around the world, not just with us in our community, I appreciated. Lee's prayer so much. We're praying. We're praying for people everywhere. This is an opportunity for God to unite, literally unite the hearts of the world. I don't believe for a second, I told you this last Sunday, that God is trying to teach us a lesson, that God allows this to happen so that we can learn something. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I do believe as some have said, God uses everything. <coughs> Excuse me, I have some allergies and things. Um, not to be alarmed. Um, but God uses everything. And the suffering that we're seeing around us, the fright, the fear that bypasses every race, every gender, every religion, Every nation, this virus doesn't care who you are or where you're from. It doesn't. But this is, I believe this is 
a monumental teaching moment for all of us. And the question is, what are we learning about ourselves? What are we learning about the inside of who we are? What are we learning about our hearts? You know this, a crisis, it can bring out the best and it can bring out the worst in any of us. Really, it just brings out what is already there is what it does, good or bad. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you as your pastor. I, I get emails and I get things from some of you that are allowing your best heart to come forward. You are allowing yourself to be a man and woman after God's own heart. Some of you have let me know, give me some names of people I can call or send a card to. Send me some of those names. You're doing that. I'm gonna, I want to read to you a text that those of us on staff received yesterday, on Saturday, a little after 9 a.m. And the text is this, good morning. I'm not going to tell you who the text is from. I would never want to embarrass Cole and Owen Renfro in the world. But this is the text. We're wondering if the church needed any help with delivering food to the elderly. We're also wanting to volunteer our yard work services to anyone. We know these are unprecedented times and would like to help in any way we can. Please feel free to send out our numbers so we may be texted. Please assure those that need help that we are offering this for free and that we will maintain proper social distancing. Thanks. These young men, they have a heart after God's own heart. I'll read one other, an email that I got. I think it came to Jennifer as well. And this is an email from Will Downing. Will, as many of you know, Will and he helps with the after-school program at the Foundry, and uh, Will is very involved at Broadway, but we claim him. He's an adjunct person of faith here at State Street. We love Will, and we claim him as well. But this was Will's email, and he wanted me to share it with the whole church, so that's what I'm doing right now. I would like this to go to all in the congregation at State Street. This week has been one of the most overwhelming times in the three years I've been involved in the ministry at Foundry. The knowledge of the variety of needs with so many of our families is very real, and the reality that this pandemic may keep us at a distance for even longer from the ones we are used to loving on daily is far too real. However, we were able to see what happens when God moves his people, and when his people respond to God's moving. The people of State Street came in this week and took away so many of our fears with the help of the Lord's calling. You all gave donations of checks, food, snacks, games, and crafts. Items that we imagined having in two or three weeks, you all made a reality at this moment. From the bottom of my heart, thank you, all caps, exclamation point. Thank you. I cannot tell you what a difference you all have made for us and so many of our foundry families. Friends, as bad as everything is, as frightening and scary as it is, this is a moment, this is an opportunity 
for all of us to look inside and to ask ourselves, do I have, am I cultivating a heart after God's heart? Is my heart reflecting in what Jesus would be doing in moments like this? I want you to understand for me, for you, for all of us, it's not just a test medically and physically. This time is a test of our hearts. Will this experience open them and shape them in new ways? I ask you to have some olive oil ready. And those of you that have done that, and I know we're coming up on the hour, uh, but the great thing is you can, you're sitting there ready for lunch. And so I can just keep going. No, I won't. I'm, I'm not wrapping it up. But I want you to take that oil. The reason I wanted you to take that oil, I want you to touch it. If you have your oil there and if you didn't prepare for that, you can do it later in the day if you choose. But just to touch the oil. And you can do what you want with it. I'm going to make the sign of a cross on my forehead. I want you to touch that oil. And I want you to remember what and how God anoints things in the world. And who God anoints. And the ones he anoints, what are they up to? What are they doing that points to God's blessing? Let us pray. As you touch the oil, God, we pray that you would anoint each of us as you anointed that young boy David to be king. And like David, as we touch this oil and we put it on ourselves today, may we, like him, have a heart a heart that is totally yours and totally committed to doing those things that bring you honor and joy and blessing in this world. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. He is our brother. He is our friend. He is your heart made flesh. And all God's children would say, Amen.